9.06 on this Wednesday, March 9th. We've got a great show in store. If you heard me talking to Bruce, I feel like, uh, what do they call those, the horse races? You know, like the the the, the sort of uh, barricade things that they, that they have the thoroughbreds in right before they go. Or maybe a, a hockey player kind of shifting back and forth on on their skates during the national anthems. I'm geared up and I'm excited uh, for this first hour. For the first time ever, we're dedicating it entirely to the Ched mailbag. Uh, because as you know, we keep some of the better emails we receive, some of the more thought-provoking ones. And we were talking a couple days ago and we said, listen, I mean, it's like, you know, sometimes people have wine cellars that are just stacked with incredible wine. What good is that if you don't open it up and enjoy it every once in a while, right? So let's say we're going into our wines seller of sorts today, the Ched Mailbag in this first hour. Of course, being that it's Wednesday after 10 o'clock, really cool jobs. I'm very, very very excited to talk to Sheldon Elter and Howie Miller. They're hilarious. If you've seen them, uh, you may uh, on APTN, Caution may contain nuts. You're probably pretty excited about their new series, Delmer and Marta. It premieres tonight. The story of Delmer and Marta, who moved to the town of Morningside, Alberta, where Marta is hired as the new host of a morning show. I think this is going to be a pretty entertaining edition of really cool jobs. I've never spoken to Niall Nickel before. He's a technology and social media specialist. He's got some insight on whether or not today's technology is actually smarter than we are. I wonder where that's going to go. I wonder if we're going to feel a little inadequate at the end of that conversation, hopefully at least enlightened. And of course, the throne speech yesterday, a protest outside, an interesting one to say the least. We'll talk to Dwayne Bratt in the 11 o'clock hour political scientist at Calgary's Mount Royal University. And then we'll open up the phones. Want to hear what you have to say about that throne speech? Were you outside? Did you take part in that rally? Your thoughts on that? Maybe we'll see where the day goes. We're going to kick off our mailbag segment this morning with one that we received yesterday. This was a text message out of Edmonton. This listener says, first-time texter, long-time listener. Love the show. I know this is a bit late, but you know what really grinds my gears? When people like Daily Dell, who have absolutely no experience in climate or environmental or biological or earth sciences, the listener says, I'm assuming, is from what I understand, he's ex-military, When these people chime in on climate change and act as though they're experts while spewing out bogus claims trying to deny what all the experts agree on. I don't listen to my lawyer for medical advice. I don't listen to my landscaping friends on dietary advice. And I don't listen to my accountant for advice on injuries. When it comes to climate change, when greater than 90% of climate, environmental, and biological scientists, you know, the people that devote their life's work to scientific-based evidence in their field, agree that man-made climate change is real and a serious threat, and we need to act now before it's too late, I'm going to listen to them. And I'm sure as heck not going to listen to some jabroni who combs through facts and picks them as he pleases and twists the evidence to support his opinion. That on Daily Dell, our controversial regular caller. Remember back in January, this was January 7th, when I shared a voicemail that my buddy Mike, who uh, runs a junk removal company, the junk guys received? If you missed it, this is absolutely incredible. This was a cold call, his voicemail, after hanging up on that same cold caller 30 seconds earlier. Hey there, I was just looking at your website, the junk guys, and I noticed it was uh, pretty awful. Uh, I noticed you guys advertise on Kijiji, which is pretty sad. 
Um, so if, if you want to, you know, start a real business and get your website on Google and maybe get some real business that way rather than relying on Kijiji, then give me a shout back and I'd be happy to help you um, rather than hanging up on me like an you know, um, because your website sucks. You know, if you try to go onto it on your phone, you're losing uh, over 75% of your business that way because, uh, like, your website just sucks. It's, like, five years old. Nobody uses it. And then you wonder why you're not getting any, uh, you know, any business from Kijiji. You're relying on all your uh, <clears throat> all your customers from one base. So give it some thought. And if you feel like uh, investing a little bit of money and, you know, starting a real business, then call me back like a man and we'll have a conversation and I'll build you an awesome website and uh, I'll make some money and you'll make some money on Google. How's that sound? Cool, man. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> so, you know, pretty much the best voicemail I've ever heard in my life. And Chad Nation loved it, ate it up. It was shared more than most things are off our Facebook page and Twitter as well. Hey you I may have noticed that I didn't share the guy's name. Of course, we know what his business is. We have his phone number. Much to the chagrin of Ida, who emailed this. Ryan, it is my deepest regret to inform you that for the first time since I've started listening to you, I'm extremely disappointed since I've listened to your show from the onset. That's actually pretty amazing. Nevertheless, let me explain why. What I have gleaned from listening to you for as long as I have is that you are realistic, intelligent, Ida. Happy, fair, open-minded, ethical, moral, enthusiastic, family-oriented, an open book in most circumstances, a good friend to many, always up for new adventure, never rude to your guests, regardless of how much your opinion differs, prideful in how you look, even when people cannot see you, just to name a few. Knowing all this, imagine my surprise when you read the voicemail and made the decision not to publicize that person's name, number, and business. Ida says that voicemail is part of a much larger societal issue. The generations previous to the 70s revered good pay in return for hard work, very little debt with the exception of mortgages and being kind to your friends as well as neighbors. The latter generations were raised with unrealistic attitudes of self-entitlement, the expectation to make the most money for the least amount of work, being famous, trumping anything else, groupthink, disconnects in face-to-face -face relationships because of social media and spewing vitriol behind anonymity. Most kind and decent people tend to be weaker. They're usually, not always, not very vocal in their beliefs. They tend to work in the background. They prefer to not make any waves. Ida says most dishonest people can be very strong. They also tend to be very vocal. They get away with bad behavior time and time again because decent people say and do nothing. Since decent people don't generally like confrontation, it paves the way for the dishonest person to thrive and grow where they're most comfortable, in conflict. You have the opportunity, Ryan, to protect a lot of decent people that take pride in their businesses from this self-entitled, inconsiderate, profane piece of dirt. Since there's no expectation of privacy when you leave a nasty message on some poor working dude's phone, especially when the working dude is your friend, you should rise above your decency. Protect the decent, hardworking people and not the self-entitled jerks. Do the right thing, Ryan, because I know you are that kind of person. Be strong and decent. Publicly denounce this worm's name, number, and the name of his business so that he gets some of the venom he spews onto others. Show him that just because he feels a sense of self-entitlement and superiority, he does not have the right to be rude and ignorant. 
Since most people attract like-minded people, this should keep the jerk's voicemail full for a long time. Perhaps he might learn a glimmer of decency, although judging from his message, I doubt it. But we can always hope. Do not ever protect nasty, hateful, selfish people. Ida wraps by saying, you always put out your messages to Ched Nation for resolution. I'm doing the reverse. I'm putting my thought out to Ched Station looking for resolution. I know you can be decent and strong. I know that after reading this letter, you will not work in the background because that is not what you do. That is why you chose this vocation. You wanted a voice and you wanted to be a voice for those who do not have one. Decency, kindness, and caring for others has to rise up from the ashes like a phoenix once again, businesses whose first concern is their customers has to overtake businesses that are more concerned with how many likes they get on Facebook. Ched Nation has to strive to be decent, but more importantly, strong and vocal in their beliefs. That from Ida, who brought it. Remember when Randall McDonald joined us along with Darcy Kayser? They were closing Call the Kettle Black. The high-end, the beautiful kitchen shop that they've owned and operated for almost 20 years in the High Street District. We started talking about today's generation of shoppers. This was Randall McDonald on this show on February 3rd. We have an interesting perspective on it because we had stores in Edmonton and Vancouver. So we've seen both cities shoppers and able to, you know, kind of amalgamate a profile. Um, the millennials really love box stores. There's something about Pottery Barn and Williams-Sonoma that uh, independent can't provide for them in the sense of cachet, I guess. Um, but... Uh, and they're also looking for the cheapest deal. It's bargain, 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 bargain. Like, where can I get the best price? And they use stores for showrooms. Um, and then they go online to shop. Um, I think for us, really, the last four years and the term I've used is the perfect storm. It really has been the perfect storm. It was the crash of 2008. And it usually takes about two, three years for it to hit trickle down to the retail level. So, so 2000. 11, 12, we start feeling sort of the economy. About 10, we started really feeling the online shopping. And I think we would have been okay if the bridge had stay open. But once the bridge closed, that was just sort of the, the death knell. So that's how they figure it all went down. Some insight into why this long-standing business closed its doors. Ahmed emailed in. He said, you know, you had a good segment with the owners of Call the Kettle Black, but you need another more in-depth show into true economic benefits of shopping local, regardless of whether it's small store owners or international big box stores. Ahmed says what most consumers don't realize is shopping online from the cheapest vendor, regardless of where that seller is, has long-term impacts into the community. People always seem to forget that local stores, even big box stores, are paying local, provincial, and federal taxes and, of course, collecting GST as well, revenue there. When these businesses lose revenue and close their doors, we talk about the human impact on the owner, but we don't discuss the real economic impact on everybody. That lost revenue for every level of government will need to be recovered by increasing taxes in other areas. Uh, not to forget, it also has impacts on employment, real estate, and of course, community investment. Untaxed online shopping will lead to a major revenue shortfall in coming decades, and consumers saving today will see that evaporate in the future income. That from Ahmed, some great insight there. When we come back from this quick break, we're going to turn our focus to jobs Terry and Barb and Connie all chiming in. And then we're going to get to 
what one of you had to say following our controversial roundtable on Vince Lee. It's all coming up in this special edition of the Ched Mailbag. We'll be right back. Into the 630 Ched Mailbag today, a very special edition. We've been saving up some of the emails that we've received over the past weeks, including this one from Terry, who chimed in right after we received job numbers. This was about two weeks ago for December. Terry says the results for December 2015 released today here in Alberta. We had 62,480 people receiving assistance. This statistic does not reflect how many Albertans are actually out of work as many could not qualify for benefits or for the many whose benefits have already been paid out. Auto repossessions have doubled this year over last and it's just the start of loan payment failure. Soon you'll see homeowners losing their houses for mortgage failures. And you'll read in the paper just a short time ago how our counselor, Scott McKean in particular, felt the city should look for an additional $1.5 million to fund some water park that lowballed budgeted. You should wake up and smell the roses. People soon won't be able to pay their property taxes. And you remember that water park got the thumbs down. Terry says this province, and more importantly, our city is in real trouble. Don Iveson and our economists can put any spin on it that they want. The reality is, where are the tax dollars going to come from when a lot of us are out of work? You know, the NDP certainly don't seem to have any miracles up their sleeves, or others continue to support themselves. Trudeau doesn't seem to have any use for Western Canada. All the talk of infrastructure spending to increase growth in the economy... Seems like a joke to me, says Terry. This money will be frittered away on LRT, roads and bridges. The companies who will be doing the work, many of them not from Alberta. The workers, temporary, brought in from eastern Canada or abroad. Terry says, if you ever drive by the construction on the Henday, look who's doing the work. Look at the companies who are contracted. You'll see vehicle license plates from Ontario, Quebec, B.C. We, as Albertans, are being hoodwinked by the politicians. And true Albertans are not benefiting. It's time to stand up and ask that out of all the workers from out of province, who will return home, home to their province to free up remaining jobs here for true Albertans? Interesting take from Terry. Barb said, due to a management change, my husband was let go from his job in July 2015. They, of course, gave him a severance as they had no grounds. Now, ironically, the fellow that let him go was himself let go about a month later, but the damage was done. More management changes, no hope of his returning there. The trade he works in is a dying trade, so it's tough to find work. We're in our early 50s. My husband did finally manage to get some EI, so we're hanging in there, but I am considering looking for a second job. Now, thankfully, the house we live in is paid for, but we have no money now for renos. We had just purchased my childhood home in December 2014 and and have that rented. So it's working out in terms of covering the mortgage. Really, says Barb, we are blessed. We've had to cut back on some things, but we own everything, so that's good. I'm I'm not sure what our situation will be long term. We're considering a move maybe to Calgary or even Ontario, but it's tough out there. And anyone who thinks that one should have a year's worth of saved income is dreaming. Remember that conversation on the show? Barb says everything is just so darn expensive. As I said, we're doing okay, bare bones, but we have no debt, so that makes a lot of difference. I appreciate you bringing this topic up on the show, and and I hope you put it out there again. Thanks, Barb. Connie made a great point. Connie says, you know, this email is in regards to the high unemployment rate in Alberta. I currently work here in Edmonton uh, for a social service agency. And I see firsthand the struggles that families are facing, especially concerning the rising cost of food. I have a friend who lives in Montreal. She's been dumpster diving and she's been successfully finding non-perishable food that grocery stores just throw out. 
She takes it and strategically places the food, anything from milk that's not expired, packaged meat that is not expired, around the city to feed those whose pride will not allow them to go to the food bank. Sometimes she feeds the homeless, too. It's not only food, she says, but personal hygiene products, crafts, toys. I'm thinking this approach may be a wise move to help support the community, seeing as how our government has made less than impressive attempts to meet those families in crisis. We need to start thinking outside the box, says Connie. My friend has no funding, no resources to implement this need within the community. Perhaps we need to rethink our health and safety policies that grocery stores follow when removing products from their shelves. Shame on our way of thinking and and our selfish need for productivity. Ryan, it would be beneficial to approach this community need in such an unorthodox way. And why can't our government think the same way, says Connie? says, I hope to get a response from you. Maybe we can have a further discussion about dumpster diving in our city. That from Connie. Interesting. I'm sure there are some details that would need to be covered there because, well, you know. This is amazing. The text line's blowing up right now. We're going to have to have text time to address the mailbag time. We're painting ourselves into a corner here in a bit of a good way. I know we can't go to the news early, Gina, But the next email we have teed up is regarding Vince Lee. And I want to leave some time for that. So maybe we will read some of the responses here. This is what you have to say this morning about what you're hearing in the mailbag. Some of you are very upset about the email criticizing Daily Dell's climate change denial. This is uh, Mike who says the 97% of scientists' narrative is untrue. And there are many scientists who state what the problems are with the climate change story. I agree with Daily Dell. That from Mike. Rum Runner Cowboy says, whatever happened to conservative talk radio? You and your wine-sipping liberal friends. Real Albertans drink whiskey. That from Rum Runner Cowboy. You should take a look at my liquor cabinet and then... I mean, not to be the guy, but let's see who knows about whiskey. I can't go on the air and say I love whiskey, because that sounds bad, doesn't it? But Alberta boy through and through. Alberta boy through and through and proud. Farm boy on the text line says businesses are important, Ryan. But let's see. How do many large companies work? Like Dell, they're here when there are tax breaks. He's talking about the computer company, by the way, not our caller because they're creating jobs, so they are operating off the backs of workers, and as soon as tax breaks stop, they're out. Andy Stiles, listening in from Sherwood Park, says, I used to tune in to Ched just for news and then switch back to popular music stations. Now I listen all the time. Says, thank you for a great, engaging show that I personally need in my life. Your tone and passion are genuine and rare. Thanks, Andy. Wow. Appreciate that. We're going to top up our coffees when we come back. We're going to go back to the February 26th roundtable with Tina Fey's Donal O'Byrne and Trent Wilkie. We were talking about Vince Lee. He's changed his name. He wants more freedom. And I asked these three, what if you were Tim McLean's parents? What if you were the parents of the victim of that heinous murder on a Greyhound bus? I didn't expect the answers I got, nor did Dawn who sent a very moving email. That's up next, right after these headlines. 
It's a very special hour-long edition of the Ched Mailbag. We've got just a ton of takes from you, and we want to get them to air. Back just a short time ago, February 26th, it was a Friday. We have a roundtable every Friday from 11 to noon, and Tina Fey's Donal O'Burn and Trent Wilkie joined me. We started talking about Vince Lee. You know, he's the one that stabbed and killed and then, well desecrated the body of Tim McLean on that Greyhound bus in Manitoba several years ago. Well, Vince Lee's psychiatrist, those working with him through corrections and the mental health system have said that, listen, the guy's on his meds. He's making progress. He's a model citizen. Vince Lee's changed his name now, and he wants more freedom. So these three roundtable panelists, I put it out to them. What if you were the victim's parents? What if you were Tim McLean's parents? And here's what they said. We need to be a little bit dispassionate when it comes to the law. I think it was Aristotle, right, who famously said that law is um, reason separated from passion. Mm -hmm. And so regardless of the horrific nature of the crime or the violent nature of the crime, if we're going to then start, we're going to need to then find a place to draw the line of where certain types of crimes, I mean, you are never going to be able to rehabilitate and reintegrate into society, and so you'll forever be punished. I mean, so it's a slippery slope for me. I mean, if we're going to accept that our justice system is set up to give people Mm -hmm. a second chance, one once they've paid their dues to society, that they have a chance to reintegrate and build a new life for themselves, then we need to be able to, we need to be okay with them wanting to at least gain a little bit of distance mm-hmm. from that criminal past there, in order reason, to continue. There's a reason that parents are never allowed to be involved in the justice system, right? If, you know, we have, you know, we have kids. Mm-hmm. There's there's no way if someone went after our kids that we would ever want to. I wouldn't be able to think about a lot of Yeah, there, 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 you know, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a jail sentence. We'd be scraping them mm-hmm. off the front of our cars, right? Yeah, this it's is, too emotional, right? It's, you it's can't too be emotional. And, reasoned about sort and we of, have yeah. to, we have to split back. We have to disconnect the, pa- the, the, the complete distaste we have for what happened. Yes, with and With what is. is necessary to make him a part of our society because we don't, we don't kill our criminals, and there's a reason for it. It was a controversial roundtable. You can find the full hour posted at 630Ched.com. Don chimed in, said, I wanted to say thank you for the panel regarding Vince Lee. Actually, I'm not sure thank you is accurate, as I've been very upset all day. Says, I was also listening to At Night with Dan Riendo earlier this week talking about Vince Lee's rehabilitation, the process, and I had to wonder, maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe I should be more empathetic. Uh, never thought more about it, other than maybe I'm sometimes too hard line in my thinking. Maybe I should be more empathetic. To you know, on that Friday, you and your panel talked about the same subject and the same theme dominated the first half of the show. He is contrite and humble and remorseful and deserves an opportunity for full rehabilitation. And then you hit me between the eyes, says Don. Two Mounties that were first responders to the Vince Lee crime have taken their lives since that fateful day. That day, Vince Lee not only killed Tim McLean, forever changed his family's life, but he also claimed the lives of Mounties, most likely destroying their family's lives. I mean, who else knows how many others are simply coping with unspeakable images burned into their consciousness? Someone on your panel mentioned that the Mounties suffered that day, you know, from mental illness, PTSD moving forward as well, but I strongly object to that reasoning. They signed up to serve and protect, and that day they could not protect and were subjected to Vince Lee's actions, which may have left them feeling helpless and hopeless and obviously scarred beyond imagination. They did not have any mental illness. Vince Lee's actions killed their dreams and hopes to serve and protect. He killed them. 
I cannot tell you how this subject has impacted me, says Don. Often topics are discussed and we go through them, but at arm's length. But this discussion changed me. He says, full disclosure, I have a Mountie son and an EMS firefighter son-in-law, both who have seen way too much in their young lives. And at times I've wondered, you know, I've even scolded their outlook and struggled to understand how they could see the world. But this Vince Lee discussion opened up a whole new worldview to me. He has caused so much damage that no matter how much remorse he shows, too many have been killed, hurt, and damaged by his actions. He should not expect any more than he has already received. I get frustrated by how media makes most topics so sanitized and distant, but today you hit it hard for me. He's talking about that Friday. We often talk of crimes as a subject matter, but today I realize just how far-reaching, how deeply embedded into our societal fabric we need to recognize it is. As a society, we just do not recognize evil as evil. It doesn't matter who's responsible, but our societal fabric is changed forever. Don says, thanks for bringing passionate discussion to the radio. Were you listening when Mike Jolly joined us, the, the teacher out of Archbishop Jordan High out in Sherwood Park that stood up at the Greater Edmonton Teachers Convention and essentially got a standing ovation after insisting we need to stop coddling our kids. He talked about the no zeros policy and other topics. He sat with us for an hour. This is why the longtime teacher believes that failure is important. I think failure to me has always been a growth uh, a learning sort of lesson that helps us grow. I'm 45, I'm relatively educated, I have lived in the world, as Jane Austen would say, and yet I fail every day. If kids grow up thinking that success is actually the most important thing, then when they fail, and I have had watched friends go through this, the longer you go without failing, the more painful a failure is when it comes. Mm. So if kids learn to fail, learn that it's okay. One of the first lectures I give to my kids is embrace failure. It's okay. There's no shame in not succeeding. That's part of being, that's part of the most beautiful thing about being human. We fail every day and we keep going on. After Mike Jolly joined us, Ruben emailed the show, said I didn't have the chance to call in during the segment on how we teach students to accept failure or work to be stronger as adults. I meant to say, though, that although my life has been riddled with failure, the one event that stands out was my first success. In grade 7, the science class was given the task of performing a fairly standard experiment to perform. And as our teacher handed out the plan and the package, he gave everyone a very specific instruction. When you are done, hand everything in to me. Ruben says everyone finished the experiment. We all handed our results in. I, however, understood his instructions clearly. I also handed back the course material, the plan and package, and my notes. The next day in class, we were given the results. 17 students awarded 49%. One student awarded 100% for following the course instructions. This set me on a course that strengthened my English and social studies skills and allowed me to complete both of those courses over a year ahead of schedule once I entered high school. It also pointed out that science and math were my weaker subjects, and instead of continuing to fail in those courses, I sought help. I've since been a business owner, a successful operations supervisor for a staff of more than 35. Maybe I'm different or special in some way. I just don't think that they, parents or teachers, teach kids how to be clever anymore. In my opinion, being clever is a mix of intelligence, experience, and creativity. And those three things don't have to be in equal parts. Clever people and children are especially clever. 
can see failure as a chance to either do it again until it's done right or refocus elsewhere with the right teaching. I love that email from Ruben. Thanks for taking the time. When we come back, Dr. Christina Stasia on the show the other day talking about sexism. We were teeing up International Women's Day. She touched on the story about Cabinet Minister Stephanie McLean's new arrival, the first sitting MLA to have a baby. And then she responds to a text that I read her from a listener saying that partners who both want to work shouldn't have kids. We'll get to a couple email responses to that right after this. One and, and identifies as a woman, doesn't give a name, says if you're an executive or a senior level manager, you can afford daycare or your husband can choose to stay home. I'm so tired of all this BS. And yes, I'm a woman. If you're going to have kids, both parents can't have demanding careers. I don't care who stays home, whether it's mom or dad, but you don't have kids if neither of you plan to raise them. I also choose not to go into management. I have and I still have plenty of opportunities to do so if I choose. Yeah, um, I think it's really great that this texter feels so empowered and that she has all this choice. But again, it's not true for most women. And if you're not working a job, you don't have enough money to pay for daycare or a nanny. You and you have to stay at home. Then and you then you don't you're not working and then you don't have enough money to pay your bills and then you're living at the poverty line. I mean, there's it's such a there's a real sort of blindness to class analysis here when we when we talk about choice. That was Dr. Christina Stasia on this show back on March 3rd. We also talked about Stephanie McLean, cabinet minister for the Rachel Notley NDP government. Just a couple of weeks after swearing in as cabinet minister, she gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. Asked Dr. Stasia as well about whether or not that was the right call. Premier Notley naming Stephanie McLean to that ministry. I think as long as we're discriminating against women of childbearing years, then we're losing a really valuable, important part of our workforce. So I don't, Premier Notley chose this person for this position based on their capacity and their skills. Will took the time to send us an email after hearing that appearance, said, I have no problem with women in politics. In fact, I believe they're an absolute necessity. I also believe that it's impossible for one individual to adequately serve the family at home and their family at the legislature. It is absolutely an individual's choice as to whether or not they have a family as they're taking on this onerous job of politics. I just don't expect to have to accommodate them for this choice. I personally don't think it's a wise idea for either men or women to attempt to do the job of holding a seat of government while building a family. That is, however, their choice, but please don't expect me to foot the bill. Anyone who thinks that politics isn't an all-consuming mission should take a look at a photo of Barack Obama when he started his job and a picture of him now. You can almost say that about any president, can't you, Will? says, when you become elected as a member of government, you take on a huge family, one that wants your attention at all times of the day, at all days of the week. I believe it's an impossible task to adequately serve both families to the level they deserve. Whether it be the man or the woman within the domestic family, one needs to look after the domestic family. One member needs to look after the government family. One individual cannot properly do both. Case also emailed in said, my goodness, there are some strong views on this. I must admit, I have some difficulty with it as well. However, after working in the RCMP for 35 years, I retired back in 
2002. There's something I learned about ladies having babies. I won't even venture a guess how many of our RCMP members are presently off on mat leave, others on paternity leave. Says, I know in Stony Plain there are probably anywhere from five to ten members off at any one time, which includes members off sick or on stress leave. The rest of the members working just have to pick up the slack. Now, I feel for the general public because they're not getting the service they deserve as a result of this, but it is what it is, and I have no idea how anyone can change this. Case says, now back to the issue. You know, sure, a couple of members from the legislature taking a little time off because they had a child is not a big deal. Oh, by the way, says, I didn't vote NDP. I never would, but come on, this isn't a big issue. Let them have their time off. He says, I'd suggest it be as short as possible and then set something up at the legislature so they can get back to work. Tyler said, I, I listened to your interview with Dr. Stasia and your final comments. You, you noted that the time that men spend in domestic labor single and married differs and the fact that men do less and women do more after marriage. Tyler says, thank you for stating something obvious. Does it not stand to reason that when a marriage occurs and the pair make a decision that one spouse stays at home, typically the wife, to rear the children and be a homemaker, the rate of domestic labor increases with the marriage and children? In contrast, does the wife's rate of employment increase if she's a homemaker? Correct. It does not. As a side note, says Tyler, I'd like to point out that in many cases when a married pair make the decision that the man will stay home with the kids, the working wife eventually becomes resentful and loses respect for the feminine stay-at-home dad. The marriage ultimately ends in divorce and ruins the children's life. I am unclear on why feminists' agenda is to destroy traditional male-female roles. Tyler says, I and most people I know choose to embrace the roles and differences with men and women. Women I know are proud to stay at home and raise their children as opposed to warehousing them in daycare for a career. We are different and that will never change. Vive la différence. That from Tyler. Something tells me we might get a couple responses to that. We'll jump right back into the mailbag. A response from February 4th, a listener commenting on our talk with Wild Rose leader, Brian Jean. That's next. Working our way through the Ched mailbag. You know, back on February 4th, we spoke with the leader of Alberta's official opposition, the Wild Rose Party leader, Brian Jean. He was reacting to that press conference, you remember, with the Premier and the Prime Minister when, when Justin Trudeau and, and Rachel Notley said that there was a clear partnership evident with projects like Energy East. Well, this is what Brian Jean had to say to us. We know that the NDP uh, for years opposed pipelines, and we were hoping that they would both come out with a clear statement in support of pipelines. I'd hoped uh, the Prime Minister would endorse Energy East. I hoped he would announce there would be a removal of the northern BC tanker ban. And I hoped he would announce changes to EI so that the unemployed Albertans can get the same benefits that are more in line with what Canadians get right across the country. I thought Brian Jean was pretty articulate in that clip that we just brought you. He's kind of like, here's what I want. Bang, bang, bang. But of course, publicly, he's been making a bit of a stink, you know, making a bit of a fuss, making some noise on behalf of out-of-work Albertans, Alberta's energy industry. And we spoke with Brian about the difference in his approach to pipeline diplomacy, shall we call it, how it's different from Rachel Notley's. Dave sent us an email by visiting the show's link at 630ched.com. Says, hi, Ryan, can you, can you please ask Brian Jean to tap the brakes a little bit on his furious opposition to every single little thing that Rachel Notley says or does? This constant, constant posturing is diluting his power. 
and is not endearing him toward people like myself who tend to sit more in the center of the political spectrum. I'd love to vote for him in the next election, says Dave, but frankly, I'm, I'm starting to grow weary of his constant foot stomping and hot air blowing all over the media. By all means, hold this government accountable, but save the constant fanning of the flames of dissent for when it really matters. Some of us are getting tired of the political clown show in this country, and, and he's just adding to the barrage of negativity. Not from Dave. It was a real treat to catch up with Dave Rutherford as we kicked off a new broadcast year. Of course, former Chorus Radio host, now with the group that, well, they say they're just looking into the idea of uniting the right. That's it. I asked Dave what he wants. He gave us a bit of a clue on what he thinks Albertans want from their government. Here's what he told us. I, I want um, what Albertans want, and I have an idea what I think it is. Um, and in my view, the vast majority of Albertans do not want a socialist, big government, high-tax government. That's not what they want. That's what they've got, but I don't think they want that. Hmm. So we're going to find out if that's true. That was Dave Rutherford on this show on January 26th. Mark says, I enjoyed your interview with Dave, but uh, I do take small exception with, with one of his assertions. He believes that Albertans want low tax, minimal regulation, and small government. I don't believe that's the case, says Mark. My observation is that Albertans want strong social programs, good health care services, and great schools. I also observe that Albertans want a strong economy with great opportunities for business, but strong protection for consumers. My observation is that Albertans are willing to pay a little bit higher taxes as long as they feel like they're getting value for their tax dollars. They don't want to see taxes wasted on various things that governments have wasted on in past. If tax dollars are spent on better schools and roads and hospitals, then Albertans are willing to pay. But big bonuses, high salaries at the top, flying around for partisan purposes, not popular. Dave Rutherford and others assume that everybody who didn't vote NDP are automatically right-wing, but I don't think that's the case, said Mark. Most voters these days are in the middle of the political spectrum, and the alternatives for those moderate voters in the last election were the Liberals, the Alberta Party, the PCs. A bunch held their nose and voted NDP. Most Albertans that I've observed are not on the more right element of the political spectrum as represented by the Wild Rose Party. I like Dave Rutherford, says Mark, but I'm not so sure he's as unbiased as he professes to be, and I think his views are somewhat skewed by confirmation bias. We'll see what the future holds, but I think Albertans are much more centrist now than they were in past, and the party that can capture that segment of the political spectrum will hold power long into the future. That from Mark. We've got a little bit of time later on in the show to get back into this, plus your responses live today's responses to what you're hearing from our mailbag contributors. When we come back, though, really cool jobs with a couple of Edmontonians. They've starred on APTN, Caution May Contain Nuts, and they've got a great new show premiering tonight. Howie Miller, Sheldon Elder, join me in studio next.